This is Shore in Your Ears, the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. On today's Shore in Your Ears, we will discuss an innovative way to heat and cool a building. While humans have been using geothermal heating and cooling since the Paleolithic era, it has only recently gained popularity and acceptance as a cleaner energy source that can reduce traditional costs by 20% or more. Indeed, we have heard the headlines about human impact on climate change. Municipalities in many global regions are taking steps to ban natural gas in residential homes and commercial buildings. The burning of natural gas increases carbon in the atmosphere and is a fire risk through stoves and heating devices. Suppose you own real estate at any scale and need to learn about geothermal technology. In that case, today's Shore In Your Ears will serve as a 101 session on this technology that aims to lower your cost by moving water through an underground pipe system. Over the next 30 minutes, you will hear Jimmy Leesk, Director of Marketing and Business Development at British Columbia-based Geotility, a 50-year-old business that started as a heating and cooling contractor. Geotility has since become a leader in the geothermal field and is developing and delivering comprehensive sustainable energy systems throughout Canada and the United States. While today's Shore In Your Ears is about a hot topic, we are confident you will find its intel and takeaways very cool. Moving over and transitioning to electrification and, uh, you know, electric heat pumps is a challenge. It's something um, that certain municipalities are really working hard to um you know, adopt new technologies and incentivize uh, moving away from natural gas. And um, with that, you know, comes its challenges, obviously. You know, it's um, gas has been king here in BC and Alberta for a very long time. And, um, you know, we're finding uh, elsewhere in North America, large, large cities in the U.S. have, have banned natural gas and, and have been off natural gas for a very long time. And the city of Vancouver has now moved away from natural gas, you know, with one to three story buildings. Um, and we're just we're, we're finding, you know, there are challenges uh, having you know the right contractors and engineers to design uh, electric heat pumps. It's it's similar in the way of heating and cooling your buildings. Um, the concept is the same, but, you know, different technologies bring different knowledges for for designing it and making sure that they work correctly. So it's a, it's definitely a hot topic. Um and it's something that you know we've we've worked in the electrification sector for a very long time. So, so the yeah. challenge, the problems with let's let's stay on natural gas because most people know what it is, what it's used for. It's been in homes, it's been in businesses uh, for hundreds of years, I think. Uh, the cha- the problems with natural gas one, it's 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 dirty. It it creates carbon. Uh, when you burn it and two um it's also hazardous it causes fires and is dangerous i mean those are the two key challenges or two key problems that exist with natural gas 
Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, you, you're, you're spot on with that, right? Like uh, obviously there's large amount of emissions and heating and cooling buildings is a huge contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, gas is, has been around for a very long time. Um, you know, but we're, we're not reinventing the wheel by any means with, with geothermal and what we do, right. Geothermal has been around for decades and decades and is extremely popular in, in, um, in Europe and has made its way to North America on a large scale. But yeah, gas, it's just, you know, phase slowly phasing it out and transitioning to a cleaner technology. And that's, that's the goal, um, that a lot of these cities and provinces and um, governments are are trying to reach is, you know, how do we lower our greenhouse gas emissions? How do we build a build our buildings to a more sustainable uh, or with a more sustainable solution? So and then it is dangerous. There's a lot of studies out there. Um, you know, gas is used for heating uh, and cooling, but it's also used for domestic hot water and pools and a lot of other luxuries um, out there. So, um, you know, gas stovetops, there's tons and tons of studies showing that, you know, even if your your stovetop is turned off, there's still a small leakage within it. Um, that, that happens and um, it emits sort of those, those gas emissions throughout your home. Um, and how do you fix the old appliances uh, or solve that problem? And a lot of people are moving to induction ovens and uh, all of that, convection, all that sort of stuff. So it's, but then it, there's also the challenge of electrifying everything and, and how do you keep up with that and, and reduce the cost of it? So phasing it out is a difficult process and it's one step at a time for sure. Um, so the, the, the government officials around the world are looking at, there's various measures to get rid of natural gas, right? Yeah. And it's everything from, you know, cities banning gas stoves in kitchens, maybe the first step, but it's it it's larger than that. It's you know, just taking homes entirely off of natural gas. So could you describe, you know, what those measures are, those the, those more aggressive measures that you're aware of that, you know, is is really going to force a building owner, a commercial building owner, a homeowner to move away from natural gas. Yeah, you know, there's there's different there's different areas have different sort of regulations. This this New York City has banned natural gas, and they're actually looking at. There's a lot of organizations now looking at creating um, district energy through the old gas pipelines. Um, so newer gas pipelines uh, are very similar to geothermal, where it's just high density polyethylene pipe, um, and there's ways to clean it. Uh, drill, a, you know, hundreds or thousands of boreholes and connect to the old gas lines and utilize that for geothermal systems. So there's there's creative um, engineering that's going to be involved in, and it is is getting started in, in certain areas like New York City and San Jose and, and other large areas that have essentially banned natural gas. Um, the next is incentives, tax credits, that sort of thing. So to push developers and builders to just phase out natural gas is difficult. It puts the onus on the consumer, right? And it can raise the the cost of construction because inevitably uh, it's a new technology. Heat pumps aren't aren't quite as affordable as gas furnaces are, right? So, but gas furnaces have always had rebates and, and um, BC's actually just 
going to get rid of that for gas rebates and make it a bit more of an even playing field. And tax credits are coming into play. Tax credits have been in the U.S. There's a, a federal tax credit and it, it differs state by state, you know, uh, from 20 to 40 percent on not only the geothermal field, but the interior mechanical system. So your distribution piping up into and including the heat pumps. So the U.S. has been very forward thinking uh, from that standpoint. All right, so let, let's help. just... Okay, so let let let's just for so the the folks listening to this podcast, I wanted to you know just talk about natural gas because it's it's used for heating, cooking. It's 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 been widely used for a long time, mm-hmm. and then on the premise that it's being you know uh, uh, phased out in many locations, the be- the alternative solution to heating is and cooling is geothermal. So and the, this is what you yes. do: geothermal heating and cooling. Um, Let's let's just talk about what it is for those folks who have no idea what it is, right? Who who might have just hearing about this for the first time. Geothermal heating and cooling from a thirty thousand foot angle. Yeah, you know, what is it? You've talked about the boreholes, and there's obviously an indication that's in the ground. But yeah. somebody's hearing geothermal heating cooling. It's clean. It's effective. What what is it? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's two there's different types of geothermal. Um, one of our industry has coined the the name geothermal, where technically it's it's called geo exchange or ground heat exchanger. Um, geothermal on a broader scale is large. You're drilling kilometers into the ground and producing steam or electricity for large grids. Um, geo exchange, which is under the umbrella of geothermal, is a closed loop system. So you're drilling uh, shallower depths, anywhere from 200 feet to you know 800 feet down into the ground. You have a series of closed loop boreholes um, that will circulate water throughout the, the pipe in the ground. Uh, and essentially it's just moving energy. So uh, it's used for heating and cooling of buildings. And yeah, you drill a series of boreholes dependent on the size of the building uh, and the, the connectivity and the geologies, the, the, the drilling varies. That is connected into the building. Once that field's all complete and connected into the building, it intersects and, and meets up with a heat pump. And then that heat pump uses a heat exchanger or a compressor to exchange that um, water, the, the change in the water temperature to produce heating and cooling for a building. So um, that's kind of your bird's eye view of it. There's different applications. There's different ways to install it. But the technical word is geo exchange. Uh, but majority of the industry just calls it geothermal heating and cooling um, and it's a it, it's a it's an energy efficient it's the most energy efficient way to heat and cool your buildings hands down it is it's it's much more efficient than an air source heat pump uh it's two okay so it's oh, okay, so let's, more efficient than a gas system so um okay that's that's kind of the so jimmy stuff. so that the so the the folks listening who who might own you know, commercial buildings or residential buildings. Mm-hmm. The science of it is it's co- it's it, it's clean and it's cost efficient because you're digging boreholes into the ground several hundred feet below the surface. And if you can explain the science, right, this, there's a lot of science here that people might mm-hmm. not understand that when you're moving air under the ground, it costs less to heat it and cool it. And if you yeah, can so you, elaborate on that. Yeah, you're circulating water throughout the ground. So the Earth's crust stores um, energy in it every day. When the, when the sun hits the Earth's crust, it stores that energy. And the and 
and the uh, surface area of of the earth uh, is at a constant temperature no matter what time of the year it is so if you can drill into the ground and circulate fluid and water throughout piping um you're it, it almost the earth's crust act as acts as a battery right it's a storage of energy uh and and we can extract that energy by circulating fluid throughout um so you know water goes down one temperature and it comes back another temperature and it can connect into a heat pump and that's a way to utilize um essentially free energy that's stored it's almost like a solar or pv panel like oh, all of the earth's crust is like that right so there's limitless energy within um you know the first thousand feet of of our earth's crust so uh it's just tapping into that energy so we're really so you're, circ you're circulating between, it's completely yeah. circulating water not circulating air, water. water so we're really just moving yeah. energy rather than gas is creating energy right gas is using combustion to create heat energy whereas we're just there's there's energy underneath our feet uh, on a daily basis and it stays there all the time and it replenishes itself all the time so we're just moving that energy from the ground into the building um so how to describe so Okay, so the water is circulating in these pipes that go down below the surfaces, like 700 to 800 feet or more, depending on the size of the project and the scope of the project. Yep. Water is circulating, and then the, the heat pump pulls the heat, pulls the... Describe the process of transferring heating and cooling from the circulating water under the surface to the heat pump. For sure. So it, it connects into, um, you know, there's it depends on the size and complexity of it. But the basics of it really is there's the pipe transitions um, from the ground into the building and then connects into a heat pump. And there's a small refrigeration cycle or or um, compressor sort of heat exchange cycle that happens. Uh, and then those heat pumps will compress and exchange the 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 water either into, you know, geothermal works with forced air heating and cooling or hydronics so um it can it can produce heating and cooling for fan coils and in-floor heating or whatever type vrf whatever type of system you're going to be utilizing distribution system you're going to be utilizing to heat and cool a building or a home so it just exchanges that energy uh it'll either run through um you know your forced air duct work or it'll or connect into a series of tanks and uh, buffer tanks or boilers or whatever it may be to produce hydronic heating and cooling. So, so the, 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 the cost savings and the effectiveness is that the circulating water under the surface stays at a more neutral temperature in the summer and winter. Yeah. And that, absolutely. That's, absolutely. that's, that's how, that's yeah. the effectiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a cost savings, you know, operating these systems are it's much cleaner. So heat, our heat pumps sit inside the building. So they they're operating at room temperature just 24, 7, 12 months a year. Um, so we don't have any outdoor equipment that's struggling. You know, air source heat pumps, uh, you know, are battling the elements on a daily basis. So in the winters, they're working hard in the summers. They're working even harder to cool your home or your building, uh, whereas geothermal heat pumps sit inside the home. So just like a gas system. If you were to have gas heating, you have to have some sort of air handler um, or air condensing unit or cooling tower sitting outside working for you. Right. Uh, and it's fighting the elements and it's it creates more maintenance and lower longevity. So the life cycle, the lower maintenance of a geothermal system creates a savings long term. So plus the energy efficiency that you're gaining from it. OK, 
So it, yeah. it, is geothermal more effective for wintertime heating in the northern hemisphere or, or summertime cooling? Uh, it's effective for both. Um, a lot of times, so we will size the systems to cover 100% of the cooling load. Uh, of a building so that you're removing any outdoor condensers um, or or getting rid of a cooling tower, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes the building loads, the heating loads can be so high um, for certain buildings that it'll cover, you know, 70 or 80 percent of the heating load. So most effective for cooling. That's that's we always try and hit that target of 100 percent cooling load. Um, and then, yeah, heating comes after that. So most effective for cooling. Right. So essentially eliminating air conditioning or with yep. the use of the air conditioner. Okay. Absolutely. And um, then it's all just done out of one box. Like geothermal is just one heat pump for a home. So the, the, it's just one heat pump. The process is interesting, right? Because you're digging boreholes at least 700 feet or more below the surface, right? So if, mm -hmm. it's also easier to do this with new construction because with, with existing buildings, you have to get under the building, right? Yes, very. You're spot on there. It's always easiest to do with new construction. Um, retrofitting does. Uh, there's challenges to retrofitting. Honestly, there's challenges to retrofitting to any type of system. But um, that is one challenge that we have been faced with in the past. And um, is how do we get existing buildings off of their sort of fossil fuel? Um, non-efficient type systems and it's a challenge it's costly for sure um we've we've uh developed um an all-electric rig that can go and drill within an eight foot um clearance rate so we've retrofitted many old buildings um you know for example the hotel georgia in in downtown vancouver and the exchange building i'm sure there's lots retrofitted on the east coast as well and i know new york is working really hard on i think they have eighty thousand buildings um that residential buildings that need to be retrofitted over the next couple decades so there's a big challenge and there's a cost that comes to retrofitting new construction you know uh, focusing on new developments um is extremely important too right to connect a master plan community to gas when we're trying to phase out gas really doesn't make sense when we have these other technologies available um so new construction is majority of of the market at the moment um just due to cost of retrofits and all that and matching up your existing mechanical system with a heat pump system isn't always simple so it does come with its challenges for sure but it's still possible uh so how again how far do you have to go below the surface and and, and that it sounds complicated but it, it it's actually not complicated because you have the this the drills and the tools to do this in fairly short order and yeah uh, yeah so I, I mean i think people might be interested oh, that, yeah you have you know several several hundred feet but it can be done in a matter of days it can yeah it can be done very very efficiently um it's so the the depth that we drill to varies in the geology um on the west coast geology can vary quite often right we have sandstones in downtown vancouver and bedrock and squamish and whistler and, and on the island and then we have 
sands and silts in the Richmond area where you're below sea level. Um, so we have different types of drill rigs for different areas. We have air, there's air rotary and mud rotary. So you drill, you drill, there's different applications depending on where you drill um, and different depths dependent on, you know, what that geology is. Cause um, you need to essentially drill down to 300 feet and insert a, a unicoil. So to do that in sands, you have to keep that borehole open. So there's mud rotary for that. Whereas if you're drilling in straight rock, um, it's a lot simpler. But in, in terms of speed, it's very, very quick. Um, there is, you know, the, the biggest challenge that we see with um, large developments is as soon as they start excavating to build a high rise right there time is money so to add another trade in there we have to you know a lot of times we're drilling within the footprint or the critical path of a of a development um and time is money so we need to be fast with that so we've we've developed smaller rigs for that reason so we don't have big water well rigs on freight liner trucks drilling for geothermal wells um ours have been made smaller footprint or small we're drilling smaller diameter holes so we can drill at a faster pace for that reason um residential it's not too you know if you're doing a single family home you're just going to drill a few boreholes somewhere in the driveway or the backyard and it's fairly simple we're almost we're in and out in a week um, whereas, you know, if we're drilling hundreds of boreholes, uh, for example, Oak Ridge Mall is redeveloping over four and a half million square feet. So they have a thousand boreholes. So critical path is extremely important and working around other trades. So um, you need an experienced contractor, just like you would any other trade um, to work in a busy, busy area like that. But it's pretty quick. You know, a borehole takes a day or less to drill um, and tying that all together and and bringing into mechanical room, it's a pretty simple process. It's much, much faster than a lot of people anticipate. So you're working with both, both residential and commercial and the, 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 def, the definition of residential versus commercial um, for folks in, in the real estate industry, residential is generally under five units. So it's mostly single family homes or uh, walk up apartment buildings that stop at five units. And then commercial is, everything larger than or has more than five units per structure. So if, if you have, take a, a, a typical residential home that is, you know, 1,500 to 1,600 square feet, uh, how much work is involved in, you know, digging the borehole, connecting the infrastructure to make this work, and how much time is involved? And how far down do you actually have to drill for say, yeah, a, good a typical single-family home? Good question. Not a lot of work. Um, usually that size of home, 1500 square feet would only really need one borehole, um, generally speaking, rule of thumb. So you can drill and you can actually, if you have the final construction plans for a home, you can drill that borehole in the footprint of the mechanical room. And that borehole comes straight up into the mechanical room. And, and once the home's all framed and drywalled, you essentially transition from our HDP pipe to and connect to the heat pump. So you can drill a borehole in a day and be out of there. Um, if you need to drill it in the driveway area, um, you know, it does get buried underneath the ground and the, with lateral piping and brought into the mechanical room. So it could take two days, uh, but very quick. Um, and the depth of the borehole that's drilled, it does vary, uh, but, you know, a hundred or fifteen hundred square foot home may require 250 to 300 feet worth of drilling so essentially just one quick borehole um within a day or two you're in and out it's it's very fast and efficient um, we do a lot of townhouse developments for that reason 
where we can, you know, you can drill five homes in, in a week, um, five or six homes in a week and be out of there. So it's, it's pretty great. Okay. Um, in, in a single family home, the depth is, you said 300 feet or is it, is it typically 300 feet or about that? Yeah. It's, okay. it, it change, it does vary, Brian, depending on the size of the heat pump and the equipment that you're going to have in there. Um, any engineer would want to be very specific with that, but it ranges. Yeah. Approximately three. What is the feet. diameter yeah. of the, the pipe? Yeah. So we drill about a four and a half inch borehole itself. And then within that borehole um, there's, it's called a unicoil. So it's, it's a high density polyethylene pipe um, that gets inserted into the borehole. And that's usually typically a one inch diameter that gets put into the borehole. So it has a supply and a return line. So it looks like two pipes coming out of the ground, but it's connected at the, the bottom of that borehole with a U-bend. So water flows in one end and flows out the other. Okay, so with larger um, buildings such as universities or uh, commercial assets, those, you know, those are more sophisticated. You have several, might have several hundred thousand square feet. Yeah. What is the nature of that work, number of boreholes, the depth of the pipes, and then how are those more complicated, those projects more complicated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're maybe not as more complicated. They just require a larger scale. Um, you know, so you'll drill, you could drill for your typical... 80 unit condo building, you might need 40 boreholes um, drilled within the footprint of the building. Those boreholes um, will get connected all together and brought into like a central mechanical room. And then from that mechanical room, there would be a series of tanks and heat pumps that will help distribute the, the water um, to the distributed heat pumps that would be in each unit. Um, and, and either hanging or in a wall closet or wherever they may be. So um, on a larger scale, it, it's adopted a lot on a larger scale. There's a, there's so many more um, condo towers than anyone really even notices because the funny thing about geothermal is you can't see it. So unless the developers market it or talk about it, most individuals who, who live in a geothermal community don't even know that they, they have geothermal. I lived, lived in Vancouver for 10 years um, right downtown, and I was in um, a condo building that we, we did ourselves. And I'd say more than half of my neighbors had no idea that, that it was even part of the development. So it's, um, it's, it's a lot more common than, than people know. So, but the, the depth of the boreholes can still stay around the same three, 400 feet deep. Um, one of the biggest restricting factors for condo buildings or drilling within the footprint is if the energy loads are higher than what we can actually fit in the footprint of the building, right? Cause sometimes you're drilling within the park. Most of the time you drill within the parkade of a building and you can only fit X amount of boreholes in there, maybe 40 maximum, right? So that, that can be a restricting factor. Do you ever run into obstacles with the boreholes? You, know, you mentioned rock, you mentioned sand. It sounds like that could be a tricky yeah. process, but maybe it's not. Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, you know, we've drilled in a lot of areas here in Western Canada and the United States. Um, so a lot of times a simple desktop study or well log search can kind of give you what the geology is and, and but one of the one of the things that we focus on especially when it comes to larger projects is 
um, drilling investigations, or uh, they're called FTC tests. So it's a formation thermal conductivity test, where we'll specifically send a rig out to um, an area that's interested in geothermal, and we'll drill um, either one or two test holes uh, to our desired depth or our anticipated depth. It tells us two things during that test. Um, one, what the geology uh, is like between surface and 400 feet, we'll say. What what different types of layers are we going to run into? Um, so you can get your productivity and uh, your costing narrowed down. Uh, then two, we, we connect a, a test unit to that to run a, a thermal conductivity test on it. So it's almost like a life cycle test um, where you're, you're, you cycle water throughout that, that loop once it's installed for 48 hours straight. And it, there's a data analysis that's done on the connectivity of the ground. So how much energy we can pull from the soils around it. Um, so that helps us a lot. And we do we do dozens of those a year throughout, um, throughout the provinces, specifically for uh, a lot of universities and schools and larger scale sort of communities when they're exploring this technology. You, you go out and you perform one of these investigations, you know, a year or a year or two in advance during sort of the preliminary design of the, the area or the, the development itself. So very important process to narrowing down the feasibility um, and costing of a system for when you when you start to get to larger scale projects like universities and schools and federal projects and government projects and all that. Okay, um, it's the, let's get into the cost savings uh, mm. and, and how it varies from. And again, you're working with structures ranging in size from a single family home to a master plan environment such as a university or a hospital system. What 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 is the the cost savings over time, say over a year. Yeah, so you're gonna you're, you save on um, if you're. It depends on what system you're comparing it to. Um, you're gonna find cost savings. Geothermal heat pumps are you know three to four hundred percent more efficient than a gas type system, or two hundred percent more efficient than an air source heat pump. So the cost savings kind of varies, but you're, you're going to find um, your efficiency, your operational costs are much lower, especially in your winter and summer months when your equipment's working harder to heat and cool a building. Um, from a maintenance and longevity standpoint, you know, your your life cycle of the heat pumps are going to outlast, but the cost savings uh, is you know usually 20 or 30 percent over sort of a conventional system so it's kind of a long-term investment as well um, you're not finding cost savings within the first one to five years of installing geothermal it's usually year eight to ten you're going to start to find those cost savings and, and reap the benefits of installing that type of system so it's kind of a long-term play as well why so that's why I think the adoption rate has been a little slower, um, you know, because a lot of these, a lot of developments are just for sale, right? So developers want to build something, uh, you know, to the to code, uh, but something that they're going to just, you know, move over to the consumer. And, and um, but we're starting to find that, you know, municipalities and governments are starting to say, hey, we have to not only build, um, developments and, and create more housing but those that housing needs to be efficient now as well so the cost savings is there but a little more long term how long has is, is this 
technology been around and and it seems to have you know be ex- uh, growing in popularity now so like give us a little history I, you know I, I assume it's been used for a while but now it's becoming more widely accepted right for sure yeah um it, you know it's been around for we've been installing geothermal uh here in bc since the 80s so it's it's been around for a very long time um I know it's it's been around for decades and decades in Canada, Europe, uh, especially Germany. It's been around for well before you and I were born. Um, so it's not like we're doing anything new. Uh, it's really just like I kind of said at the beginning, gas is kind of king. It's been what everybody knows and what everybody does. Uh, so it's just uh, in terms of North America, it's a fairly new technology, but it's been around for a very long time. We, we haven't we haven't really changed uh, or invented a new technology or anything like that. But the adoption rate's been, you know, largely adopted here on the West Coast. Uh, in the U.S., it's it's happening everywhere um, and has been for ten plus years minimum so it's it's been around for a while more on on the scale of residential projects but now it's really starting to be adopted on, on a larger scale companies like microsoft they're they're, they're re- redoing their whole redmond campus and they're going carbon negative um and they're going all geothermal with us um thousands of boreholes across acres and acres of land um, for their campus. So large scale developments are, are doing it and have been doing it for a very long time. And let's talk about geotility. You're based in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, right? We are, yeah. Our head office is in Kelowna and then we have an office in uh, Vancouver, BC, and then Seattle, Washington and San Diego, California. Tell us about the growth of the business. I mean, uh, how many people do you have there now working for you? And then the vision of geotility over the next 12 to 24 months. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we, I would think we have over 60 full-time employees now. I'd have to double check that number, but I think we're pretty close to that between the branches and growing at an exponential rate. It's um with the tax credits uh, throughout the U.S. and 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 now starting here in Canada, we're we're there's a massive growth rate in our industry, and we're just trying to keep up with it, uh, with still keeping you know the right team members in play. Um, we've grown a lot over the last few years, and I think like I would assume we're going to grow double in the in the next two years. So, uh, but you know the difficult part is. Um, a lot of consultants and engineers and project managers and teams don't really know geothermal yet here in North America as well. So there's a lot of education. There's a lot of training that needs to happen. And, and we work diligently with different firms to, um, you know, keep up with that growth rate. So and again, the next challenge is drilling. We There's not enough drillers to keep up with the demand for geothermal. So uh, we're working with other teams and partnering up with other firms to keep up with uh, the amount of developers that want to implement geothermal. Um, so in the next two years, our industry is going to drastically change. We've been doing this for a very long time. Um, there's been a lot of naysayers for a while, and there's been a lot of developers that have believed in what we've done for 20, 30, 40 years. So it's 
it's uh, it's just there's a lot of large firms now that are trying to catch up to to what developers and builders have been doing for a while. So we're trying to grow, um, but we want to grow at the right rate uh, without changing, you know, the quality and and what our firm is based on. So um, we're growing in each sector. You know, Cologne, the, the Okanagan here and the lower mainland where our Canadian branches are, um, are growing very rapidly. I know in the States, there's a lot of large scale projects, you know, the Lucas Museum of Narrative Arts in California and the Microsoft campus and large scale drilling uh, projects that are happening that we're 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 being awarded, but there's other projects that we almost have to turn down. There's just too much work right now. So trying to grow at the right pace, to be honest, Brian. Jimmy Leask is Director of Marketing and Business Development at Geotility uh, in Kelowna, British Columbia, Western Canada. Again, Jimmy Leask at Geotility, Kelowna, British Columbia, Western Canada. Jimmy, this has been exciting and informative, and uh, I think our, our audience has learned uh, a few new things today about heating and cooling and technology that is uh, shaping the future. So this has been a, a a delight and I appreciate you uh, opening minds in, in, in the real estate world. Absolutely. A special thanks to Jimmy Leesk, Director of Marketing and Business Development at British Columbia-based Geotility for joining today's Shore in Your Ears. Geotility is a 50-year-old business that started as a heating and cooling contractor. Geotility has since become a leader in the geothermal field and developing and delivering sustainable energy solutions throughout Canada and the United States. You have been listening to Shore In Your Ears, the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. Please visit us at shore.international. That's S-H-U-R-E dot international. 